This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Curtis Childs, Vice President of Programming at the Swedenborg Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to sharing the insights of Emanuel Swedenborg, an 18th century Christian mystic who was allowed to witness the afterlife firsthand, as well as communicate with spirits and angels about the true nature of reality. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited. All right. If you don't mind, let's just start with more about who was Swedenborg and how did he come to have these spiritual experiences? It's a fascinating story in a, for a lot of reasons. I'll start by giving you a connection to the modern near-death experience movement and Swedenborg. So Dr. Raymond Moody, who your listeners probably know, came up with the term near-death experience uh, in his book, Life After Life. In there, he has a section where he lists parallels, like pre-existing parallels. Where is there other stuff in history that seems to show the same kind of experiences happening that people are now starting to report so often in the modern age? And he has uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead is in there. He has the Bible in there. Has one other, which I'm not recalling at the moment, but then the last parallel he has is Swedenborg. Hmm. And Swedenborg is probably the most extensive set of spiritual experiences ever ever recorded. And if you had asked Swedenborg, you know, when he was a young person, hey, are you going to go on to write about a bunch of spiritual experiences? He would have looked at you like, what, what are you even talking about? So he was this this really successful almost like a Renaissance man. He was a leading scientist in his time. So we're talking about 18th century, that would be 1700s. He was born in like 1680 and then died in the later half of the 1700s. But he was leading at the leading edge of almost all fields of science, which back in those days you could do as a single individual. Like these days, what people know is so technical and so specific. There's it, it'd be crazy to think somebody could know everything there is to know. But back then the field was new enough that you could really be on the cutting edge of a lot of fields. And so he was deep into anatomy and knew just about everything that people knew about the study of the human body. He was an inventor, had been involved with Sweden's mining industry, which at the time Sweden was this world power and the mining industry was one of the things that made them go. So he was actually engineering machines that would help them mine more efficiently and all that stuff. He was had founded the science of crystallography. He had brought the first scientific journal to Sweden. He'd done all these cool things. Uh, was on track to have a very good career and probably would be a lot better known than he is now if he had stayed that way. But he had this set of experiences that changed the trajectory of his life. And you can actually follow these really closely for yourself because he kept this record of everything that happened to him. So he was trained as this scientist and he was used to being super meticulous 
about everything that he experienced and cataloging everything and organizing it. And he started to have what he later referred to as his spiritual eyes opened. He began to be able to see the other side of life, what's beyond the veil, we would now say. And he wrote it all down in like in painstaking detail. And it started with dreams. So he would keep a journal of of his travels because of because of the science he was involved with and the career. He was also a politician. He was in the Swedish House of Nobles. And so there you have a seat in government and you can help affect policy. So he was traveling for all kinds of reasons, seeing important people. And he would keep a little journal, which you can read. It's preserved. So you can read, just say like, oh, I went to Amsterdam, arrived in Amsterdam today. Uh, And this was back when to travel from Stockholm to London to Amsterdam, these were huge and dangerous trips. You had to go across the ocean and you had to wait till conditions were right. And there were pirates and robbers and there's all kinds of stuff going on, but he would keep this journal of his travels. And then all of a sudden he begins recording his dreams. And at first they're relatively innocuous dreams. I mean, they seem like the kind of dreams that you and I would have, but as it goes, they begin to cross the line from being dreams into being what we would now call spiritual experiences. And he records this. He'll say, okay, today when I was awake, I heard a spirit talking to me and this is what the spirit said. And this is how they made me feel. And he even goes so far as to start to try to guess at what did it mean? What, what was it trying to tell me about life? What can I pull from this? This is, and he would psychoanalyze himself basically in, in light of this. And this is before there was Sigmund Freud or, or psychoanalysis or anything like that. He was just recording what happened and when. And things started to get more and more intense in this. He started to have this, a lot of what we would now call like spiritual growth work happening to him. So he was tackling issues. He had this black dog that would recur in his dreams. And he came to understand that that was a symbol of basically his ego, of his pride, because he was, as I said, he's really smart, he's really successful. And so he had this air of like, I know, and you don't know. And he had to confront that in this dream world. And it kept on appearing as this symbolic dog that would, that would do things in dreams. And, And he would write down what he thought, because during that process, he started to get these insights from heaven, as he would describe later about his own condition and what was keeping him from being really like an upstanding, good spiritual person. And as he went on this journey, he was, you could see he was getting more and more um, spiritually aware of things. And then it began to be that he was suddenly having these experiences during the day and he would, it culminated in this really powerful experience he describes where he says that he got to meet God and, and get this message delivered to him that essentially it was time for him to start to write down what the rest of life is like, what the spiritual side of life is like. So this was in his mid fifties and he totally abandoned his career in science and everything that he was doing and began writing these books that the Swedenborg foundation works to make available. And it wasn't like he threw away all the science and thought this was nothing, but it was a, it was a foundation because the, the, the spiritual world that he describes 
closely interacts with the physical world. So just like in the physical world, there are laws that we can understand and predict things with. There are physical laws like gravity, for example. There are parallel laws spiritually. For example, he saw that love functions in the spiritual world like gravity functions in the physical world. So just like gravity holds things together, it groups objects, love was doing the same thing in the spiritual world. So he was using all of his knowledge of how the physical world worked to help understand and describe his spiritual experiences. He ended up in what he called this, uh, or in this sort of lucid spiritual state where he had what he called waking experiences, basically like near-death experiences constantly for 30 years. And he wrote down everything, kept a journal of all his experiences, and also published this whole set of theological and spiritual works that he then spent the rest of his life trying to get institutions of the day and the audience of the day to listen to uh, and, and sort of wake up to what the larger picture of life is. And the th- one of the things that's so fascinating about it is a lot of the stuff that he wrote at the time was very at odds with like the church's current understanding of the world, but now is very much in line with what a lot of people are finding through near-death experiences. In his day, he was actually put on trial or his works were put on trial because it was considered heresy. But now there are so many principles that he described that are just like second nature for your modern spiritual person. So it's a fascinating, this is what Raymond Moody saw in it, that it's this is something that explains the framework in which these like near-death experiences occur, like why, yeah, you saw the beings had, had light coming out of them. Why do they have, why do they have light? Why are they shaped like people? All these questions that you could sort of ask around those. He's got this amazing comprehensive system that describes this really beautiful world that we're a part of and, and answers a lot of questions that I'd had. It also really helps you make sense of life. I mean, I got interested in it when I was, dealing with my own uh, pressure, uh, depression and anxiety. And I was really struggling with my, my mental state. And it was the tools in Swedenborg that helped me more than anything else. And so from that time, I just felt like oh, people got to know about this. People got to know that this is a resource and that there's, there's some valuable medicine here. Do you think that Raymond Moody or any other near-death researchers drew their ideas from Swedenborg? I would certainly think Swedenborg's had an influence in the near-death world. Uh, So Raymond Moody certainly knew Swedenborg. He was quoting him there. There's a guy named Kenneth Ring, who was one of the co-founder or the co-founder of IAMS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And he wrote in the introduction to a book about Swedenborg, he wrote um, that people who have had a near-death experience peek through the door into the afterlife. But Swedenborg has explored the whole house. So I think that what researchers there are finding can be expanded and and probably has been by Swedenborg. And there's it's Swedenborg's influence has not just been on near death experiences. You're going to find his influence all over the art world. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, there is a, a whole William Blake. There were all, all on the number of famous artists and were heavily influenced by Swedenborg. There have been theological influences, but even like architectural, like the the White City, like the the layout of Chicago. Daniel Burnham was a was basing that on Swedenborg's description of the New Jerusalem. Uh, famously, Helen Keller wrote a whole book about how Swedenborg had helped her do what she did because it had 
it had been so the principles have been so important to her. He's had influence, even though he's not very well known, you probably have been impacted by his work through the different ways he influenced the way that we look at the world. Why do you think he lost popularity in today's society? Because I mean, I don't know everything, obviously, but I've never heard of him. And I'm guessing a lot of other people have not as well. Yeah, he's a he's a weird combination of flavors, because as I, you said in your your description, is it Christian mystic? So he will, he's very Christian sounding. Like he, one of his main tasks that he was trying to do was get in and talk about the Bible and how it's all this almost dreamlike allegorical description of this stuff that goes on in your, your spiritual development. It's this very precise, he called it correspondential text. So he's going all into the description of that. He'll use Christian terms like um, salvation, Trinity, but the world that he's describing is very outside of the lines of traditional Christianity, that he will talk about things that actually there was a guy named D.T. Suzuki who is credited with bringing Zen Buddhism to the West. And he wrote this book called Swedenborg Buddha of the North. And it was all about how the broad principles that Swedenborg is describing uh, have this close kinship with, uh, with Eastern principles. And I think that because he's not only all that, but he's also pretty weird because he's got, he's just talking about things like how spirits influence your day-to-day reality, how he, he was saying he could talk with angels and things. He talks about having contact with spirits from other planets. So like who's going to be willing to put up with all of that at once, right? If, if you've got somebody who maybe some people don't want to touch the Christian part of it, so they won't get into it. Some people don't want to touch the like spiritual experience part of it. It's also dense and heavy. He wrote in Latin and it's very technical. It can be very technical and philosophical. Obviously it's been translated into English since then, but it's, it's not as accessible as like, let's say a description of a near-death experience. So I think it was a, a combination of all that stuff just makes it hard for somebody to understand when they first pick it up for somebody to understand the value, the potential value in it. So I think that's, that's part of why he never really took off. I mean, for a while he was popular, especially in like the 1800s when spiritism was big, he was at, pretty close to a household name, if not a household name, but that, that had a couple of, um, you know, scandals and sort of fell out of popularity in the same way. And he kind of fell out with it, but I'm, I'm as confused as you are. I don't know why more people don't know about him. And I guess that's what I'm trying to fix is that I certainly think that his material should be, everyone should know of it because there's so many people who are looking to are sort of seeking a broader truth that would find a ton of stuff in there that would that would be really useful. So let's see what he says that is similar to near-death experiences. For example, like what does he say happens when a person dies? Yeah, he has a description that he gives in two different books of his where he says that he was shown what the dying process is like. And it's it's got a lot of NDE elements. He talks about um, having his, 
having his mind <clears throat> put into a state where his sort of body was shutting down, but he could still be conscious enough to see and remember. And he says, he should describes this process where he could almost feel this pull or this tug out of his body and that the spirit was then detached from that. And he talks about going through this progression where he was surrounded by different kinds of angels in sequence. So at first he says he was, his mind was in this really, um, not inoperative, but semi-conscious state that he wasn't like looking around or listening to things, but he was feeling things. And there he was surrounded by what he calls heavenly or celestial angels. And in that state, they were caring for him and making sure that only loving concepts came to him. But as he began to stir, then he, um, he moved into the company of the spiritual angels. So another a, a similarity that he has with near-death experiences is time and space don't apply to spiritual things. So in a lot of near-death experiences I've read, people will talk about, well, I was moving, but it could have been really fast or really slow. I I don't know really which one it was. And it could have been that we traveled for a second, or it could have been that we traveled for a hundred years. It all felt like time and space didn't apply. And he says that that's that's a feature of the spiritual world, that instead of time, you have states. So your mental state, your emotional state is what creates movement there so you know how here on earth we'll say how how close are you to your father and you wouldn't say oh you know he's about 200 miles away Mm -hmm. it's it's emotional we talk about spiritual things swedenborg would say everything conscious in you is spiritual we talk about spiritual things emotional things in terms of distance right we say uh, you know you seem distant right now so Mm -hmm. so what swedenborg says that the reason why we have these turns of phrases is that we all have this instinctive knowledge of how things work spiritually. So spiritually, emotional closeness is literal closeness. So you are drawn to people. That's that's another phrase that we use drawn to people who have the same kind of love that you do. And that's actually like I was, Oh, like we were saying before we started up that love there plays the role like gravity plays here. So actually communities of people are drawn together and organized by their them loving the same thing. So you have communities of interest and communities of purpose there. So Swedenborg, as he's beginning to wake up and he's starting to have this desire to see what's going on in in the afterlife, he moves to this group of what he calls spiritual angels. And there they give him the use of his spiritual eyes. He says that we all have spiritual senses. So you have spiritual eyes, you have everything analogous to what you have here, spiritual ears, but they're, everything's closed while our physical senses are open. This is part of why people will have spiritual experiences when they're deep in meditation and they've kind of quieted the physical senses that you have all that stuff, but it's, it's like you're, you're a spirit that's plugged into the body. If you think of it, like if you've got a VR set over your eyes, you don't see the room around you. Only if you take that off, do you see where you are? Well, like our spirit, we all have a spirit right now, according to Swedenborg. And the physical body functions like a like a VR set over the eyes, meaning it's it's making us see what's in the physical world, but but you're somewhere spiritually right now. And even your spirit is in the company of other spirits. 
right? Whether these are people spirits or spirits who have shed their bodies and you know, people who have died and are now living in the spiritual world. So it's what you love and what you care about that moves you around there and associates you with different kinds of spirits, which by the way, affects how you think and what you care about and what impulses you get. So Swedenborg was starting to come into this state where he wanted to explore. And so he was with these spiritual angels who were just like, like you'd hear near death experiences, totally loving and anything he wanted, they would do for him. Uh, let me make you comfortable and let me, let me give you everything you want. You want to see what, what heaven is like. Do you want to see some, do you want to know the answers to something very much like in near death experiences where they describe people talk about knowledge downloads, or they have this conversation with the being of light where everything they ask gets answered and they get these satisfying. So very much a similar experience there. And there's a lot of things that you, you wouldn't even think to mention that Swedenborg has that that line up with near-death experiences that are now sort of assumptions we have, but weren't in Swedenborg's day, which is that you are still you in the spiritual world. That you and you still often people talk about looking down and like they can you still have hands, right? And you see you see a being or an angel and they look like a person. They have like a head and God, I just I just was watching uh, this wonderful interview that you had on your channel with a woman who saw the binary code mm-hmm. of the un of the universe or of life. And she said that she met these two angels and she said, one had a beard sort of like yours. Mm-hmm. And of course we, ju- we just think, of course, of course they look like, they look like us, but Swedenborg in his day, there was a lot of thought of like, well, well the spirit is just kind of a puff of air or it's disembodied thinking it, it wouldn't have a form, but he was trying to impress on people. So the spiritual world is it's concrete. It's not heavy like this one. It's it's certainly more. It's more fluid and more alive. But it's it's not just like doesn't have any structure. You think about the amazing complexity and structure of this world. It just the spiritual world has its own structure and its own. It's real. He says that this is another thing he shares with near death experiences that the spiritual world is much more real and tangible than the world that we're in right now. So really it's opening up your spiritual eyes. It's really like you take off a VR headset if you've ever done that. And if you've been in that virtual reality world for a while, which is pretty good, the graphics are pretty good, but the screen's a little fuzzy and you take it off and you remember, oh, right, this is what reality looks like. It's the same kind of thing. When you open the spiritual eyes, you get this sense of, oh, wow, this is, this is much, this is much realer. This is much more, this is better graphics than the, than the headset. So I could I could go on and on about this, but I think I'll pause and see if you have any particular direction you want you want it to go in. Well, what does he say about the place people call Akashic Records, and or what does he say about life reviews? The thing that's most analogous to life reviews is what he calls your spiritual memory. What what's Akashic? The thing you mentioned before, what's that? Well, I didn't name that, but as yeah. far as I understand, it's like a place in the spirit in the spirit world or that realm where you can go and it's like the records of everything. Not on, not only your yeah. life, but maybe the records of basically everything on earth. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I want to talk about the spiritual memory. There was a time in my life when this may sound like a strange fear I had, but I just get worried about stuff like this, where I was getting really disturbed by the idea if I was like, had was having just some mundane experience, or thinking about something that I enjoyed. The idea that I was never going to see that thought again, 
Like I was never going to remember it because there's so much stuff that happens that you never pick up. And, and like little things that meant something to me in the moment, or I felt like this is going to be gone forever. And it was, you know, it was bothering me. And that was when I came across this concept in Swedenborg of the spiritual memory. And the spiritual memory is a counterpart, the spiritual counterpart to the physical memory that we have. So right now I have a memory of my life. And if I try to think back on, I'm 37. So trying to think back on what's happened to me over this 37 years, I have a pretty good memory. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of stuff that I've forgotten. People can remind me of things or I can see pictures and not really have any memory of doing that. So it's, it's pretty good, but it's definitely not comprehensive and definitely can be altered and it can be inaccurate and it's incomplete. The spiritual memory is it's like tinfoil you know you touch a sheet of tinfoil and you can never get that wrinkle all the way out everything that's ever happened to you even down to every little bit of thought and feeling you've ever had every motivation everything is in the spiritual memory forever and he'll swedenborg will talk about the book of life which is a biblical term but he'll say that that people's memories spiritual memories function like this so that Angels can pull out and show you everything that you've ever done or ever thought. Even talks about literally like books that he had written long ago, the the spiritual equivalent of those being able to be produced. And you could look through the pages and see like, this is everything about you is there and recorded. And it's done through the spiritual memory. So the life review, he, he often talks about people being brought into a state where they can see things that they'd done before and get perspective on them. And he even talks about people. He often talks about that being used to get people past certain issues or to right wrongs or, or get people to, to see uh, the, the way that things do make sense. And I, I see that reflected all the time in people's description of the life review in near death experiences. Swedenborg isn't as front and center with it. He, he, you have to go digging a little more for him to find it, but over the course of his whole works, there's quite a lot of fascinating information about the book of life or the spiritual memory uh, that, that is, I think, the mechanism that's used to produce these life reviews that people go through. Does Swedenborg talk about reincarnation at all? We did an episode. So we have a YouTube channel. It's called Off the Left Eye, which is actually a reference to that story of the dying process because, that I mentioned earlier, because he talks about in that process when he goes among those spiritual angels, that in order for him to have his spiritual sight opened, he said, it seemed like there was a covering pulled off of my left eye. And by this, I got spiritual sight because everything in the spiritual world is like representative or it's, it's a, there's imagery that goes with everything that happens there. And the left has to do with the intellectual or understanding side of us. This is before there was any like left brain, right brain study. Swedenborg reported that, that there is this spiritual duality in everyone. There's the will and the understanding, as he calls it. There's the basically the motivations and then your concepts, which is actually a, a mirror of the fundamental balance in the universe between love and wisdom or goodness and truth, which are the two like primary building blocks of everything. But you'll have these... Um, these things in us reflected. So he, to, for in order for him to get his spiritual sight, which sight has to do with the intellectual side of you, because it sort of feeds your ability to know he had to sort of have this covering was pulled off. So 
we have this channel called Off the Left Eye in honor of that. And we did an episode in there called Do We Reincarnate? And the answer is complicated because Swedenborg seems to say yes and no to that at the same time. So he doesn't ever mention, as far as I've come across, and I'm pretty sure I've seen most of it, if not all of it, um, some us living in the physical world and then going back into the physical world. But he talks at length about processes that are very similar to reincarnation that happen in the spiritual world. So he talks about people who go through these cycles where, for example, people who are on this angelic course to becoming angels, you have a state in which everything's working really well and everything's going great. But then there's this cycle where you get let down back into your previous concerns because you have more work to do there. And it's a lot like the description of reincarnation, but it doesn't happen by reinserting something spiritual into the physical and developing through childhood and through adolescence and forming a mind and all that. It's, it's a process that happens within the spiritual world. He also talks about like principles that are often go along with reincarnation, like karma, where you as sort of the pop understanding of it, where if you do something, it comes back to you. He talks about this as a primary principle in the spiritual world, but not in the physical world, because you can see in the, in the physical world, people can live a very selfish, harmful life. And it seems like everything goes great for them. They, they get rich and they get famous and they get to do whatever they want because physical things are not necessarily dictated by spiritual or moral principles, but in the spiritual world, what you love attracts people who love the same kind of thing to you. So let's say that you love uh, being, uh, you have this belief that you're superior to all the other people and you see them as disposable things and you go and mess with them and use them for your own ends. And you, you are going to attract people who are like that around you. And so that is obviously um, nobody wants to have to deal with that. So the, the, the um, negativity that you attract ends up causing the same kind of problems in your life that you enjoyed causing in other people's lives. So there's, I mean, I, I could go on about that, but we do, yeah, we have an episode you could check out called Do We Reincarnate on, on our channel uh, that, that goes into the complexity of Swedenborg's answer to that question. So it, it's both yes and no. Can you tell us about some of the tools you used personally in your own life? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, don't believe everything you think is a tool that I pulled out of Swedenborg. He describes this intimate relationship between the physical and the spiritual world and between the people that live still live here physically and the people that are on the other side. He, enough so that he says as we're describing before that our spirit is in some community and that community affects how we think and how we feel. So just like here, you probably know people who are influenced by some kind of political community. They're watching certain kind of news media or they're, they're reading certain articles and then you get together with them over the holidays and you can tell they've been influenced by people. The same thing is happening spiritually, that we're influenced by our spiritual community. 
And in my case, I was really struggling with a ton of negative thoughts and negative feelings. And I, I didn't really know what was happening to me. I didn't have a label to put on it like depression or anxiety. I was young when it, when it first started, I was young, I was 18 or something. And so I just didn't get like, why is my, my mind falling apart? Why am I always arguing with these negative things in my head? Swedenborg's description of the spiritual source of that stuff. It's like that there's, there's negativity that's coming out of the spiritual world. And he goes in and describes just how those negative spirits operate on you and how that gets affects your thoughts and what the motivation for that is and how to avoid it. That to me, just to get that same kind of skepticism applied to my own negative thoughts that I apply to when somebody calls me on the phone and I don't know the number, I don't pick it up because I know it's just a, probably a phone scan. I mean, they're most all like, I'll get a voicemail. that's like, Hey, we need to help you pay off your student loans. I don't have any student loans. So this is, this is somebody, and, and because, it's because I understand how the world works. So understanding how the spiritual world works lets you have the same kind of street smarts in what your mind is trying to do to you. If your mind is trying to drag you down, get you down. So that, that to me has been one of the most potent tools alongside that, I would say is his description of what he calls divine providence. And this is the, the divine guidance of everything. It's like God's plan, how every single detail in our life is being used, even though it seems like chaos. He uses the analogy of if you walked by a construction site and you didn't know what was going to happen there and you would just walk by and see all these piles of materials, just like there's a stack of boards, there's a big hole in the ground, there's some boulders there. It's just a mess. It seems like a total mess, but the architect knows how each board is going to fit and how these two are going to come together, and then how we're going to have this next stage where we insulate it. You're going to come out with this awesome place to live, that our life is the same, that all, yeah, I have these bizarre experiences, I have these bad days, I have these good days, but I don't see how this all fits together. But Swedenborg describes in depth this very careful guidance by the divine of the impact each of our experience has on our spirits is carefully being set one thing on top of another and getting it to a place where we end up with this happy spiritual place to live, which is like the, a, a mind and a heart, an involved spirit. And that has been, if, if you're ever feeling lost or hopeless, that concept can be that just like the warmest blanket you can put around yourself. And I've found that to really come in helpful in a lot of areas. Are you saying that we are a being affected by spirits on the other side and creating negativity in our life? And if so, how do we handle that? Yeah, um, I am saying that. Swedenborg was shocked at how much spiritual influence there is on everybody's individual life. When he first started to have his spiritual eyes opened and got to understand that we're always in company with spirits, it at first, he, he almost didn't want to believe it. It just seems so strange to him, but then it it began to explain everything. Like it 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 made life make sense. Why we why we are like we are? Isn't it a little bit weird owning a human mind? And it can seem like it it's not doing what you want it to do. It is it's a really tough thing to live with. Um, the way that you deal with it is. It not, doesn't have to be drastic. We did this show called How to Deal with Evil Spirits. 
And I start that out. We, we have sort of like a, a little bit of a facetious intro where I'm saying like, it turns out there are these negative ent- entities that are all around you and they could be right in this room and you don't even know it. I'm talking about germs. Then we discover that there are germs in the world that are these microscopic things that can make you sick. And this is something the whole world is thinking about right now. But what you do is you just find out a couple of careful things you can do to try to mitigate the harmful effects. It's not something that, that's, that's the end of the world. And it's the same thing with evil spirits, that it's not like some people can have an evil spirit around them. We all have good and evil spirits around us all the time. And everything negative that is in your mind is coming through the connection we have to evil spirits and everything the good that's coming into your mind is the connection we have to angels or to good spirits. And the way that you deal with them is to, to the best you can be aware and selective of what you're making your own. Cause any, anything can occur to you. Like what, why don't I say that to that person? Right. That, that could be funny. But it's a different thing. to. I, so when that thought comes into me, I can say, no, that's terrible. I wouldn't do that. And then I'm, I'm saying, basically, I, I want to move my spirit away from that influence. And whenever there's a good, like I get some impulse to do something that's good and true and right, I can say, well, yeah, I want to move closer to that. And so that's like the basic way. It's, it's The funny thing is, Swedenborg describes this really out there stuff. He's talking about spirits influencing him in all these ways. He's talking about this expansive, multidimensional world that we live in. But the advice that he comes back to is like really practical, down to earth, moral stuff. Like he says that the main thing you can do to attract goodness and get rid of negativity is to work on making your primary motivation a love of useful service. So what we love makes us who we are. And there's always a fundamental or what he calls ruling love in each one of us. It's what do you care about more than anything? And we start out with pretty much with that being ourselves. Like, what do you care about more, more than anything? Well, myself, my reputation. Sure, it's nice for me to talk about you know, like if, if, for example, if I'm on this podcast and I say, well, yeah, I, I want to give people some information, but the thing I really care about is do the people watching think that I'm smart and cool? Like that, that's where we start. You think about being a teenager. That's just where you, it's, it's, it's ego. It's where you are. What we're doing over the course of our life is having that is the divine is trying to change that into a love of useful service. A love of useful service is just that feeling of, oh, that I know that this is going to do something good. And therefore I want to do it. Like, I know this, like, for, so I love to give the example uh, of me being on this podcast. So the love of useful service is yes, sure. I want people to think that I can string a sentence together. That's fine. But it's not the main point. It's not why I'm here. Why I'm here is I'm hoping somebody's on their phone and they hear something that the next time that they're struggling with the same stuff I struggle with, it really helps them. And that goodness, like when that, gets you excited. That is loving, useful service. And there's a lot of ways you can enact that. He actually says like just going and faithfully doing whatever your function is in society. So I'm going out to do my job today and I want to do this like with, you know, I want to do this justly 
honestly, faithfully, and I want to be doing it with the thought in mind that I want to try to make the world a better place. That that is kryptonite to all these evil spirits because what they want to do is get you totally caught up and involved in your sense of self and your desire to be better than other people or to harm other people and all the falsity that goes with that so these misconceptions about who other people really are and how the world works whereas what is good brings truth with it so the more that we can focus on trying to not do anything that would interfere with goodness and then do do what's good that pulls in truth that pulls in angels with it so overall if we can work more and more on loving enjoy, loving and enjoying and, and acting based on what's being nice to people and, and doing things that make the world a better place that is gonna that's like just really strengthening our spiritual immune system it's going to help us deal with these negative attacks when you're actually really in it there's there's a lot of more specific tools you can use this is what like i was talking about divine providence like when when you're really in a spiritual crisis or a mental or emotional crisis for me anyway i'll, I'll get to a point where i i just feel like i have to lean on this idea that there's a power outside of myself that it can help. I, I know Howard Storm, who had this really famous near-death experience where he talked about having this really negative experience first that was, and I actually got to interview Howard Storm. I spoke with him at a conference. So I got to meet him in person, really genuinely nice guy. But he, and he says in his book that he wasn't so nice before his experience, that he he had a lot of arrogance to him. And he looked down on, generally looked down on people and was cynical. And he had this this sort of breaking down that ultimately led him to the place where he realized his dependence on the divine. And as soon as he did, then he was protected because the only thing that evil can get at you through is your, your denial of your relationship to the divine or your your relationship to love. So the more that you go through these negative experiences where life shows you that, actually the stronger you become uh, because you, you more and more get a real sense that love is what's important in life. Everything that you come back from a near death experience, knowing that that's the stuff that really strengthens you when you're faced with the, with the dark side. You mentioned that Swedenborg had principles. Can you tell us about some of his other principles? Yeah. Um, for one that jumps to mind is correspondences, which I mentioned before when I was talking about what he was trying to do with the Bible. So the, the, the principle of correspondences is that the everything in the physical world reflects or represents something in the spiritual world. So I'm, I'm talking about everything. Like you, I can see a tree out my window. He talks at length at how a tree is like a living representation of um, of a number of things, including the spiritual growth that we go through. So just like you can look at a tree and observe how it goes from seed to sapling to then having to develop leaves so that it can get energy. And finally through that getting fruit, which is what allows it to reproduce and continue on. We follow a very similar process in, in the way that we develop from being non-spiritual being in that ego state I was talking about before to first learning concepts, which are like the leaves, which allow us 
if you have sort of a, a spiritual idea that allows the truth that's coming out of God, just like the sun coming out or the light coming out of the sun is coming into that leaf to power it. The truth can then hit that concept and give us a real realization. And as we start living by those, that leads to the fruit, which is the actual joy in doing what's right for people. Cause you don't start out loving the, the neighbor as the self. It's just like, no, well, okay, I'll do it. But you eventually get to the point where, Oh, I love this. I, I wanted, it's exciting to me to go do what's good. And that's like the, the fruit in us. So everything, um, water is a correspondence with truth. So everything that water does physically, if you think about water is how you clean something, water is how you stay hydrated. That is what the truth does to your spirit. So if you're needing to, you need to be consuming a certain amount of truth regularly in order to stay the spiritual equivalent of hydrated. The truth is how you clean up messy situations. There are these direct living parallels and it's actually the, the, like the physical world responds to the spiritual world. So things that are happening in the spiritual world make what happens here happen. And the most concrete example I feel like he ever gives is a smile as a correspondence. So I can be feeling happy inside and that's a spiritual thing. He says that the conscious part of you is spiritual. It's it's interacting with this physical body, but it's not the the consciousness is not physical. It's spiritual. So the consciousness feels happiness, and the physical responds by smiling. And the smile is a picture of that happiness, right? You can see somebody smiling, and you know, oh, they're feeling happy, and it looks like happiness, but it doesn't have to be because you can fake a smile. So you can, you can put up the image, but it's only an actual correspondence when it's really displaying the happiness the spirit is feeling. Because you can't see the spirit's happiness. You can just see the physical. But the, when the physical really tells you what's going on with the spiritual, that's a correspondence. So that basic principle can be applied. This is how religions all over the world and, and um, belief systems going back in history have been able to get spiritual inspiration from nature. Because nature is this portrayal of spiritual things but we just in general lost the ability to speak that language so we've gotten instead these like written texts and revelations which are fulfilling that purpose now but initially that's how humanity could could know all the, the deep truths of the universe just by observing the world around them because it's written in there and you just got to know how to look for it so that's one of the one of his principles and um yeah, there's, there's the principle of regeneration, which I've touched on here a bit, which is like spiritual growth. So this is the, the complex process, and it's the process that, by which we are going from being self-centered people, which just how you start is nothing to be ashamed of, to, to being other-centered people, people who are genuinely you know, love the neighbor as yourself. And this is something that's just as complex as physical development. So if you think about growing up physically, there's like it starts out with a, a cell and then it's division. The embryo develops. There's so much complexity in it. That same process is going on in our spirits throughout the course of our lives. And it's just like if you say, I want to I want to get in shape, you do a few things, a few simple things, like maybe you'll run, maybe you'll eat differently. But the actual work that's being done inside your body of 
metabolizing all the different stores of energy that there's so much more complexity going in there. So it is with like our spiritual growth. So yeah, I can, like I was saying before, you can try to be a good person and not do and, and look at things that you think are harmful to others and try not to do them. Even if you feel like you want to do them, that those are the simple actions that then allow God to do this amazing complex work of regeneration inside of us, a spiritual growth, whatever you want to call it. So those are a couple. What does he say about Jesus and who he was and what his mission was? Yeah. So Jesus, according to Swedenborg, Jesus is the correspondence of God. So I was just talking about how you have a physical representation of spiritual things that exists in everything. So Jesus was an embodiment of God that made it so that we can see and understand God. And uh, Swedenborg writes extensively about Jesus. He calls him the Lord. So if you pick up a Swedenborg book, you may not see the name Jesus a bunch, but at the very beginning of his books, he says, whenever I talk about the Lord here, I'm talking about Jesus. That was a common name for Jesus back then. Um, And the mission of Jesus was to create a pathway that we can follow and thereby like allowing us to do that process of regeneration that I was just talking about because the people, everything people do, everything that people do does uh, has consequences. So you can mess things up for the next generation. So Sweden, the way Swedenborg describes it, humanity had gotten really savage and superficial. And there was just a really dark time in life. People were not kind to each other. They did not see each other as human. They were not following these principles, right? And so because of that, that was putting the, everyone who was born into that climate had such a harder struggle to try to become a good person than that. And they were cutting themselves off from the sources of understanding and goodness and truth and everything like that. So it was really dire situation. So Jesus was essentially coming to say, all right, I'm going to clear a new pathway that people can follow. I'm going to kickstart this uh, new, what Swedenborg would call a new church. So he uses the term church but not to mean like a specific religious organization. He more is describing like an era of human spiritual understanding. He says that there have been these different eras. He calls them like the the most ancient church, the ancient church. He says these are these different distinct eras of human spiritual understanding. And once it usually goes cyclically, like people have this revelation or this, this way of life that people are living spiritually, but then over time it starts to corrode and decay and become sort of its opposite. In Swedenborg's day, he felt like the Christian church around him had had gone through that. So it was it didn't have life in it. He saw the church committing all kinds of atrocities. There's a bunch of people who were wearing the badge of like, I'm a religious person and going and doing terrible things to each other. There wasn't that spiritual life in it. So back in Jesus's time, he was creating this new opportunity for a new church or a new way to connect to spirituality. And so Jesus was living so everything that living the same life that we're all called to live now. So everything that we go through all this regeneration process, Jesus was going and doing that. And in the process, rebalancing the, the evil and the good in life that evil had gotten so strong in the spiritual world. 
like we were talking about evil can affect all of us. Well, hell was getting so powerful or the negative spiritual side of life was getting so powerful because everybody was choosing to live that kind of life that it was threatening like the existence of humanity. Because if the balance, we're, we're all in this balance between what's good and what's evil so that we have the freedom to choose where, where, where we want to go. But if evil gets too powerful, it destroys that balance, which destroys consciousness. So Jesus was coming to reorder things through this. It's through this life that he lived, reorder everything and give us a template that we can then follow. And it's funny, we are just recording a, a podcast uh, about it that we, we release uh, called Inside Off the Left Eye. And the, the path of Jesus that, you know, at one point Jesus famously says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And people have taken that at times to say, well, the only way that you can get to heaven is by being a Christian or saying the name of Jesus, which then brings up this ethical dilemma of what about somebody that's never heard of Jesus or what about somebody that just has a bad experience with the Christian religion and so doesn't want to say the name of Jesus are they are they out of luck but the name of Jesus and spiritually speaking anyone's name is their quality so the correspondence of a name is the quality of who you are we use this again in our speech that we say you know um my good name if you say my that means you're talking about your character your reputation. So the, the name of Jesus is the quality of God. So that, that same like love you see expressed in these famous uh, sayings, which are like the lo- love your neighbor as yourself, everything that, that people love about what Jesus did say, that is, that is the name of Jesus. That is the way. So anybody in the Swedenborg says this explicitly, anyone, anywhere of any religious tradition or non-religious way of life who is living a life based on their knowledge uh, where they're trying to love others and do, do some kind of acknowledgement of the creator of the universe. That is, that is living the life of Jesus. That is doing that path, which was really shocking to the Christian society that Swedenborg was in because now we have a pretty ecumenical view of the world. And it's not that radical to say people of any faith could, could go to heaven. But at the time, this was not something that the church wanted to hear at all. And it was, a, it was like a theocratic state. So he was going up against the government essentially saying that, but is this something that now people can realize, Oh, that's, that's how it's got to be or else it's not fair. Or why would God design a world where you have to know one particular set of rules and names and dates and everything to, to do the point of life, which is go to heaven or go to the, the happy afterlife that we're trying to get to. Does Swedenborg talk about the devil and does he say the devil is, you know, the opposite of God? Yeah. Swedenborg doesn't believe that there's a creature that's the devil. The devil is what he calls the love of dominion or the love of ruling. So like I said before, everybody has an overall love inside, something that they something that directs them and guide their primary motivation. And the devil is when your primary motivation is to dominate and have power over other people. He says that this is at the root of all of human arrogance and cruelty and everything that causes suffering in the world, that there's this fundamental uh, desire that tries to get us to follow it, to put ourselves in a place of importance above the rest of humanity. And 
he describes that over and over as the devil. And he says that if that overtakes you, if you begin to live a life that is totally based on that, you, you become a devil, right? This is how you describe a person who is completely and ruthlessly self-centered. And you can see this sometimes in, in the world when people get all the power that they want and you see dictators and things will do these, these horrible, atrocious things to people that, that that is latent inside that love. And so there's not like a single entity but there, that the desire to rule over other people and put yourself above them is the fundamental opposite of God, because God is the desire to serve everyone, to love everyone, and to make others happy. So the, the devil is the desire to have yourself be happy at others' expense, or yourself happy and you don't care what happens to others. So personified... That's the devil. And Swedenborg says, if you, if you look at all the people who have ever chosen that life together, they are an assemblage that you could call the devil. Like if you look at that all working together, you can kind of see that as a devil because people can be communities, spiritual communities can be seen as a single person because actually the form, the human form, like the, the form that your body is made in is a pattern that's repeated throughout the universe. So in any community, in any well-functioning community, there is there are people that play the same roles that all the elements of the human body play. So just like in the human body, you've got organs for detoxing, you've got distributing of the vital stuff from the heart and the lungs, you've got like your arms would allow you to go and do things in like a really well-run business or community, there are people that do all those functions. And that goes even farther in the spiritual world, where in any given community, you have people that are doing the same, playing the same role that the eyes play in the body. So these would be the people who are going out and learning things and understanding things and then giving it out into the community, right? So Swedenborg says you can even at a distance see spiritual communities as a single human being. Like they, they can they can be imaged that way not like they're actually it's actually like an island shaped like a person but functionally that's how it's organized so you can when you have a, in a perceptive state you can see a community as a single person so if you look at all the hellish communities or all the communities that are driven by these different kinds of desires to dominate others and to make yourself happy at their expense if you were to see all those at once they would could appear like this grotesque perversion of the human form because it's this taking of the life that we all have which is supposed to be this life of living in this joyous community of love with each other and turning it into what Swedenborg calls hell there you could see that if you could see that all at once you would you could say that's the devil but it's not a particular being that's intrinsically evil it's it's all of us contribute to the devil the more that we choose evil and love it and make it our our life so nobody's born evil, but you can, you can choose that path if you're seduced by the pleasure in evil and, and choose it over what you know to be right and the pleasure of good. All right. For the sake of time, I've got to switch gears here. If people want to find out more about Swedenborg, are you available to chat with them or someone from their organization? And if so, how would they reach out to you guys? Absolutely. Yeah. The, we, we're happy to chat. Obviously, we're we're all really excited about 
the cool concepts in here and, and the good we see them doing for people. We all the time we'll get comments from people of how some particular insight Swedenborg had helped them connect some other loose ends they've been wondering about, or some principle was really helpful to them in a hard time. So we're really happy to talk to anyone and everyone anytime. An easy way to do it is just go to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash off the left eye and leave a comment on any video. We've got people who will come and start talking to you there. You can also go to offtheleftei.com and there's like a contact form there. Any of our social media channels, if you if you leave a leave a comment, we've got people who watch those and, and we'll start talking to you. Uh, we we have a thousand videos, I think, on our YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, I think it's up in the like 990 something by now. And we so we we cover. I wouldn't say all the aspects, but probably anything you've wondered about, we've got something that's addressing it there. So you can search through there and do that. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to get in touch with me, just send it. Um, well, you've got a couple email email addresses you could send to. You could do off the left eye at gmail.com. That'll get there. Uh, Childs at Swedenborg.com. We'll do it. There's, there's, we'll, we'll, we'll hook you up. So, so just get in touch with us in any one of those places. And, and we'll, we're, we're happy to chat. We got free, free book downloads, free videos to watch. Um, we just want to try to get you spiritually as nourished as, as we can. So you said they have free book downloads. Are all his books available for free or do you have to buy some? And if you do, where do you get them? Yeah, you, we try to make all of his books available for free as like a PDF download. So we don't have not all of his books are in the newest translation yet. So we, there's some that I don't know if you can download as a PDF, but, but everything that we've translated is there. If you want to, that's on Swedenborg.com, which is another, oh, it's, that's, that's where we keep the book catalog. Yeah. If, if you want to, we have eBooks as well, but you have to sell those. So I think they're a dollar. Uh, and then if you want to, if you want an actual book, we just sell it at cost. So that does cost something, but you can get all the text for free at Swedenborg.com. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Sure. Um, I, I think that l- life is amazingly better than we would even think it was. I mean, if there's one thing that I've gleaned from all this time, looking through the world that, that Swedenborg saw, which is the same world that we're all living in, it's that life is good. Things are going to work out just fine. And there's really incredible amount of intricate care over each detail of our life. Swedenborg says that every detail or every moment of our life and every moment of a moment is being watched and cared for. And there's this great plan that we're, we're slowly discovering, you know, what it's all about and everything that we do discover will, will be showing us more and more how good life is. And Swedenborg talks about every state that we ever get into being just like, uh, like a little egg ready to hatch into the next state. So life is getting better and better. The structure makes sense. Everything, everything that seems chaotic and meaningless is actually packed with meaning and it's all leading us in a good direction. Curtis, thank you for that message. And thank you so much for bringing us Swedenborg today. I wish you massive success in whatever you're doing and I wish you the best. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, this was a lot of fun and I really appreciate what you're doing on your channel. And I, I hope that, um, people continue to find good nourishment from what you're providing here. Thank you. And have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast.
I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.